Greetings, ladies and mendigants, and welcome to this latest episode of Tales from Outer Space. Taken from the subreddit HFY. The links to all the stories will be down below, and as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider subscribing. Story number one, They Don't Understand, written by Mr. E. Monkey. They don't understand. Of course they didn't. How could they? Those primitive little ape children were weak and cowardly. They knew nothing of war, having never engaged in a single member state of the Galactic Concordance in honorable battle. No, the sniveling ape children always wanted to talk, to negotiate. Not once in the 63 cycles since they had made contact with the Concordance had they ever even attempted to assert their dominance over territory. The cowards would rather give up three systems in exchange for one, but the poor fools had never dealt with the Ingarian Empire. All the member states of the Concordance knew the military powers of the Ingarian Empire well. Even the ever-belligerent Pakari understood. When the Ingarian Empress decided that the Empire would annex the system, the mighty Ingarian Conquest fleet would move in, sterilize the world, and uh, it was ours. That was the way of things, and the Concordance members respected that. Yet, uh, just three turns after annihilating the human colonies of Cygnus system, those apes still think that they can talk their way out, as if their weakness will keep us from taking more and more systems. The humans don't understand, but uh, they soon will. They don't understand. The Galactic Concordance isn't a perfect system, honestly. There is no such thing, but um, it has kept general peace throughout our quadrant for generations. Yes, there have been minor squabbles between member states and one expands into a neighboring system. But they have always been minor. The aggressor announces their intent to the council, and after both parties conduct a military analysis, a small conflict takes place in the system in question. The victor stays, and the vanquished is allowed to evacuate the system in peace with no further losses. Clean, simple, and it has kept relations between the various members of the Concordance civil for generations. But the humans... The humans don't understand. Since encountering the Concordance, they have been one of the most friendly and most peaceful species encountered. Not once in the 63 years have they declared an intent to annex another member state's territory even when it would be prudent decision to do so, and they have gone out of their way time and time again to avoid moving into systems that might potentially be under contention. It's certain that they were taken by surprise when the Ungarian Empire announced the claim to the human colony worlds in Cygnus system. Perhaps their colonists weren't aware of that their system defense ships were beaten, that it was time to leave, and that by refusing, they would be annihilated along with the structures. The humans don't understand, but uh, with some luck, the council may guide them to understanding. They don't understand. Humanity almost didn't make it to the stars. We had dreamed of it for untold generations. We studied, hoped, and planned, and almost in spite of ourselves, we finally made it. Once we finally stopped trying to murder each other, we made it. Our joy upon reaching out and finding others was immeasurable. Our joy in realizing that they were, for the most part, friendly and helpful was nearly unimaginable. 
the thought that we could choose to engage in combat with friendly alien races as a matter of politics. Heartbreaking. We were done with killing, we told ourselves. We would do all that we could to keep from spreading our bloody hands throughout the galaxy. We wanted to reach out with open hands, not with a closed fist. And for decades it worked. We were able to deal with every race we encountered, even if we had to take less than a stellar deal. We could always walk away with our hands clean and our heads held high. But, uh, and we encountered the Ingarians, and that all changed. They announced their intent on the Cygnus colonies, and we tried, we tried to negotiate, but we had several resource-rich planetoids nearby. Surely those would be acceptable trade, yet, despite our best efforts, they attacked anyway. We tried to work with them to end the conflict, but uh, it seemed that in spite of, or perhaps due to our efforts, they only became more aggressive and more brutal. When they killed 23,000 colonists in the Cygnus system, the vote was but a mere formality. The Terran Alliance, unfortunately, was at war. The Ingarian Empire thought it was an open and shut affair. They didn't realize that we avoided war, not because we were weak or unprepared. No, despite our best efforts, it seemed that war was all but ingrained into our genes. And they would soon come to find that just because we avoided war at almost any cost, it most certainly did not mean that we weren't prepared for it. We... We're always prepared for war, ever since we first picked up a sharp rock. And throughout the ages, there was one rule that humanity had always agreed on. Win. We would show the Ingarian Empire the true meaning of war. We would show them why we tried so hard to avoid it. We would hate it. We would spend vast amounts of resources in helping them rebuild their infrastructure after they surrendered. But we would do what we had to to win. The Ingarians don't understand, but as our fleets surround their homeworld, they will. End of story number one. Story number two. Word prompt. As it turns out, humanity is the single most pyromanical and explosion-happy species in the entire galaxy. This quickly gets us uh, something of a reputation. Written by Ak1308. The fighting on the trading station was almost over, the raiders all but mopped up and their shuttles under indirection. When Chirik from the parrack, she immediately went to concerned spouse mode, literally fluttering around her husband like an avian she was, almost clucking over the fact that the feathers were one side of his face had been scorched away. What happened? she asked solicitously. Were you and the defense teams? I heard that the fighting was vicious there. No, sweetling, he said hollowly. I was in the lower decks. There was no defense teams there. Her wattles drew up in confusion, but uh, I heard that the raider casualties on the lower decks were total. They're still carrying bodies out, even now. What weapons were you using on them? How did you kill them so gruesomely? It wasn't me, Cher. His voice was tired. There was someone else there, one of my workmates, a mechanic called Edgar Houston. He saved my life and killed all the raiders that came after us. But how, she cried, if he was not in the defense of forces, how did he prevail? How did he destroy them so utterly? Barak took a deep breath. All right, I'll tell you. But before that, I want you to understand that humans are utterly insane. 
All the way back in their history, they've been a stark, raving mad. I think, in my heart, that it has to do with their fascination with fire. Fire? She looked at the scorched feathers again. Why aren't they fascinated with fire? Their planet, basically, he explained. It keeps trying to kill them. Cold weather, animals too fast to catch easily, food too tough or unhealthy to eat unless it's cooked. There are dozens of reasons, so the race has basically deified fire from the beginning. So, when they figured out ways to make fire go farther and do more, they of course grabbed a hold of it with both manipulators. Chirik shivered. She wasn't sure she liked where the story was going. Her race, like many others, had tamed fire long ago, but only to ensure that it did not break out unexpectedly and burn nests and fledglings. Doing more with fire had never really occurred to them. But Parrick seemed to need to keep talking, so she made an encouraging motion. Yes? The history of human warfare is rife with the use and misuse of fire, he said, and explosives, usually involving fire. Crude bombs containing a chemical that blew up when fire contacted it. Weapons that had fire contacting an explosive inside a tube to push metal pellets out with the speed of sound. A weapon consisting of tanks of flammable fuel that squirt nozzle, which literally threw flames at their enemies. This is too much to believe. Chirk felt her nictating membranes flash over her eyes as she clutched the manipulators together. Surely nobody would invent this weapon so barbaric. Humans did, Barak said bluntly. He rubbed his manipulators carefully over his face. Blackened bits of feather drifted at the deck plates. The great honor, a prize meant to embody peace, was named for one of the inventors that he invented a more effective explosive. They went into space by packing great tall tubes, taller than all the world tree, with explosives, and set them off while sitting on top. There is literally a human saying to the effect that there are no problems that cannot be solved with a liberal application of high explosives. They're insane. There's no other explanation. I believe you, I believe you, Chirik said soothingly. But this Edgar Houston, she paused after struggling with the name. He could not have brought any of these weapons on board the station, could he? None of these bombs or metal pellet fire weapons, all throwers of flame. This time, Parrick's laugh had a tinge of hysterical cackle to it. He didn't need them. We were in the shuttle bay when the alarm first went off. He made me go get some hand cleaner solution. It's a clear gel. I thought perhaps he was going to make the deck plate slippery, so they would lose their footing. Uh, but I was wrong. When I got back, he had just finished decanting high oxide fuel into a glass bottles. He added that, plunging the mouths of the bottles with oily rags, and then shook them hard. Then he lit the rags on fire with a small metal lighter he carried all the time. When the raiders came into view, he told me to get ready to run. Then uh, he threw the bottles at the raiders. They broke, of course, the bottles, not the raiders. The liquid went all over them. Then the burning rags fell into the liquid. He shuddered. I've never seen a sapien burning to death before. But uh, could they not brush the fire out, she asked, puzzled. Oh, they tried, he assured her. But the hand cleaner made it stick to them, and their weapons started firing off accidentally. We were out of range by then, but they weren't. That's horrible, she caressed his face. But how did you burn your feathers? Oh... That didn't happen then. He closed his eyes for a moment. That was the second bunch of raiders. 
They heard what had happened to their comrade, and they were looking for blood. They had us trapped in the cafeteria. This was after he found the cleaning products in a closet, mixed them in a bottle and threw it at the group of raiders. There was no flame, but there was a lot of explosion. Was that when you lost your feathers? Cherik was beginning to wonder how her husband had survived so much fire and so many explosions. No, like I said, that was the cafeteria. The two big bunches of them were coming in from different directions. He lit the firelighter and put the middle of the floor. A tiny flame barely noticeable. I wondered if he was trying to distract them by setting the fire of sensors. I should have known better, but even when he grabbed a large bag of food stalls, I had no idea what he intended. He just ordered me back into the storeroom, with the instruction to slam the door shut once he was inside. He looked at the floor. I had no idea what he intended. She put a manipulator on his head, running her digits through what remained of his crest. We don't have to talk about this now. No, he said. I want to. He took a deep breath. Edgar opened the bag, and he waited behind the food counter, crouching down. I had one eye on the door of the storeroom. The raiders came in. They saw the metal firelighter and cautiously advanced, watching it carefully. But there were no fuses, no piles of explosives, just a firelighter and a tiny flame. No danger at all, he shuddered deeply. They were fools. I was a fool. Edgar is insane. What happened? Cherik didn't want to ask, but she did anyway. When their attention was transfixed, Edgar stood up with the bag over his head, and he shouted, looking for me, and then threw the bag. It burst open, sending a huge white cloud everywhere. Then he dived towards the storeroom. They were too surprised to shoot. Then he'd reached the flame just as I slammed the door shut. He closed his eyes, breathing in and out, in and out. Edgar later told me that it was called a flower bomb. Killed every raider, burned every feather off of the side of my face, and deafened both of us for about ten minutes. So that was what shook the deck plate so badly. Turk wanted a cringe and a horrified fascination. Edgar did that. Is he some kind of Terran explosive genius to make a clinging fire and an exploding flower? For sure, she would be keeping a closer eye on the flower in her own domicile. No, that's the worst part. He rubbed his beak. He told me that humans had been using that sort of thing for hundreds of years, since long before they came into space. He says that if he had time, he could have whipped up something a lot nastier. And I believe him. Turek got a manipulator under Parrox and started steering him away. I'm just glad you're alive. Come back to the hab. I'll get you cleaned up. Thank you. I, I think I need it. Parrox didn't resist. I'm, I'm glad that he was there, but I, I still think he's utterly insane. Me too, beloved. Me too. End of story number two. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you did, please consider supporting the author from the link down below. Otherwise, if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways to do so, like liking, subscribing, and possibly even becoming a patron. Otherwise, the easiest way would be to share. And until the next video, I hope that you all have a good one, and I'll see you then. Cheers.